Welcome to the Champions Mind Podcast. I'm here with special guest today, Mark Cahoon. Mark is a former Major League Baseball player. He played for the Mets, for the New York Mets. And so, Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mario. Awesome. Let's start off with uh, a question that maybe is, you know, kind of controversial. It always seems to make the, the sports news nowadays. Did you, like, when you started off playing sports, was it just baseball that you did? And if not, what were some of the other ones that you were involved in? Yeah, good question. Never was it just baseball. I love playing every sport, played basketball, played football, uh, never played soccer on a team level, but just intramurally. Every single sport I could play growing up, I played. Uh, and I feel like that benefited me as an athlete when I was in my teens and early 20s. Awesome. Awesome. So like most kids, right, you just basically kind of play whatever's fed to you. It's the whole activity thing, just liking competition, just, you know, we're boys, right? So just being outside, whatever it happens to be. At what point, though, did you realize maybe, because you went on to become a professional Major League Baseball player, so at what point did you realize that, like, baseball was the sport that you maybe had the best chance of success at or maybe it was the one you were most passionate about or both? At what point did that happen for you? I think I, I strongly realized that the first time uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I made the varsity team my first year, uh, my first season, obviously, and uh, had a successful season and, and knew that this was going to be the sport that took me to the next level, um, allowed me to uh, go to college, get the college scholarship, and, and maybe even be paid to play the sport. So, Mark, you're originally from Texas, right? Yes. Okay, so from the uh, Mark's from originally from the Dallas area. So just to give you guys a little bit of context, baseball, I mean, baseball is a huge sport. It's America's national pastime, obviously. But, you know, in Texas where the weather is typically good all year round, you know, a sport like baseball is one that is highly competitive. And so making the team your freshman year, I'm sure, was a huge deal and at a, at a big high school nonetheless. So, But taking that, so you make the team your freshman year, and now you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, baseball is kind of the front runner, kind of a sport where maybe my skill set is most suited. But, you know, again, it, it, ta- it takes something different there because now all of a sudden, like, When did that thought get planted? When did you begin wrestling with and playing with the thought of, hey, you know what? I think I've got what it takes to be a professional baseball player, which is something entirely different than just making a freshman team in high school. So can you walk us through that? I think once my junior year hit, I played with another guy, Jordan Walden. Um, He's played with a few teams, uh, had a good career, just ended. And uh, together we would play in showcases. Um, with 30 to 40 colleges around the region, all Division One colleges, uh, 30 to 40 professional area scouts, and just having them come up to me, um, hand me questionnaires, ask me questions, ask my parents questions, and realizing, wow, you know, I've got attention from people who see talent and note talent. And they're telling me that I'm talented. Um, I think that's when the light turned on and I realized I could take this as far as I want to. Yeah. And Mark, you're a junior in high school at this point, right? Yes. So you're like, 
what, 16 maybe? Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that because I, I know how baseball goes. I played a little bit of baseball, and, man, it's a big deal. Like, it, it becomes very, I guess, competitive, and the scouts and those kinds of people, they're they're looking, they're always looking, and they want to be the first one to you and the first one to get you. So as a junior in high school, all of a sudden you're getting hit, meeting all these coaches, and they're interested in you, and they're giving you questionnaires. How did you deal with that? Because that's a lot for a 16-year-old to take on when, you know, you're being touted as a very serious thing here that has a bright future, which is exciting. But at the same time, was there a little bit of fear there? Or was there a little bit of, like, trepidation, I guess? Yeah, I guess the best way to express that that season was not necessarily fear, but more pressure. Uh, because I realized at this point I had I was going to have something to live up to, right? I was being told how good I was as before, I didn't really rise to, uh, in, I guess we would say a high school elite level, uh, until I got to high school. Um, I just worked hard. Um, I saw kids who were better than me and I would set my goal that I would be better than that kid. And so when I did rise up and I looked around and I was amongst other elite players at my age, um, doing these showcases, um, and being looked at, I realized, man, there's some pressure now to perform. And that was tough to deal with because I would press during games. But eventually I realized that, hey, the whole time I just need to focus on what I'm trying to do, my process. And uh, that's something that I'm really thankful that I had good coaches to teach me what it means to focus on a process and not a result. And uh, when I say that, I mean that my process is to go out, work hard the right way, and continue to focus on the things that I know I can control, the things that I know that I can en- enhance my my skill set in, and everything else that's out of my control, I leave that up to to chance, right? And so I leave out the fact that whether or not I go to college, whether or not I do play professional baseball, that's kind of out of my control that someone would choose me. But what I can do is focus on being the best player that I can be. Yeah, that is, wow. That I mean, that's a lot of what I tell the athletes that I work with is doing that. And it's amazing how when you do that, you really do begin to experience less anxiety. It really does begin to just bring you into yourself and give you an inward focus uh, because, you know, you could have scouts coming at you. You could have people filling out questionnaires. You could even be getting pressure. A lot of, a lot of young, young athletes get pressure from their parents and from some of their coaches as well. You could have all this stuff coming at you. But the bottom line is we give outside influencers and influences, we give them the, the power to make us feel anxious and make us feel pressure. Ultimately, we've got to give them the in and we've got to give them the approval to be able to make us feel that way. And so I, that's perfectly said there that you said, Hey, I recognize like if I focus on the process, if I focus on myself, you know, then that pressure dies down because I'm not giving them permission to come in and to, and to mess with my controllables and things that I can have in front of me. So yeah, very well said, man. So you're on this path, you're on this journey. So now, you know, you're in high school, okay, things are, you know, getting a little bit more serious. I I don't like it that the culture says that people are self-made. I don't like people saying they're self-made millionaires. I don't like all these rappers saying I'm self-made and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, we all need a support system, right? So 
in your particular case, to get you all the way to where you were able to get, you must have had some people in your corner that were supportive of you. So who were some of those people that were supportive of you in this journey? I would definitely say my family, they would continue to tell me, uh, especially when things were, were tough or I wasn't performing well, that they still believed in me. They knew that I had what it took. And I had coaches that were very, very pivotal in in my mental makeup and development. Coaches who were very positive, you know, made me believe that I, that I could accomplish those things um, and also showed me what it would take to accomplish those things, right? A practical approach to how do I reach the next level? And that's not just on the physical side of like how, what, what kind of, what amount of practice is it going to take for me to, to separate myself, but also what kind of mental preparation is that going to take? And so I would say, uh, um, I had a coach in my freshman year in college, um, and he helped me out on the middle game a ton. He was my pitching coach and, um, he's a little, uh, rough around the edges, I would say, but nonetheless, he had a very strong mental makeup, makeup. He played baseball and also boxed for a while. And I learned quite a few things from him. I think one of the, the most important things I learned, ironically, is that he kept preaching about keeping things simple. And in the middle of everything I just said, he would say, hey, you're doing all these things, you're working hard, but you still need to keep it simple. When it comes to actually playing the game, you need to keep it simple. Don't think too much. Just go out there, enjoy the game. We think a ton in practice. We work a ton in practice. We work on a mental game. Uh, we work on physically perfecting our skill and our craft. When we get in the game, we keep it simple. We have fun. And and I think that was able to let me be successful when he taught me that. Yeah, it's crazy. I say this often, you know, like we complicate this process way more than we should. But at the same time, the simplicity of it is what makes it hard. A lot of times we like to think to ourselves, man, there's got to be more to it than this. You mean if I just work hard and if I'm just consistent and if I just work on my mindset and if I just work on my physical skills and such, you mean that like I can, you know, I can get to be a major league baseball player at some point with enough determination, with enough perseverance? And the answer is yes. And there's not really a lot of ingredients that go into that recipe. But that's what makes it difficult is that a lot of folks want to look for, no, there's got to be more than that. Like, what else is there? Tell me. You're not telling me everything. You're probably keeping secrets from me. And we're really not. It's really much more simple. It's not e. I didn't say it was easy, and neither have you. It's, it's not easy. It's tremendously difficult, but it is simple. So, yeah, it sounds like you had quite a few people in your corner that were able to give you some things. And with what I do now for a living and such, I mean, it's just so important. You know, obviously, I don't I don't know that there's any surprise there that you were able to get to where you were. You had people working on you on the physical side, like you said, but you also had a lot of people that were working with your mindset, which is huge. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit further down as we kind of move through your career a little bit here. But, uh, yeah, so. Really good stuff. Now, on the other side, there's always going to be those folks that maybe we don't, they're not with us. They're not on our team. They're not supportive. So, you know, again, you're, you're looking at doing big things that you did eventually go to do. So at some point, I'm sure that, hey, what do you want to do? I, I want to be a major league baseball player. 
well, you know, I don't think you're going to get there. You know, you don't have what it takes. You're not this, you're not that, whatever, right? So how did you deal with those folks that were not supportive of you? That's that's good. It, it, it's not easy, right? Because those people are the people that are going to try and be in your ear the most. Maybe other people that resent your, your hard work or your determination or just you can't appreciate that someone else has more talent than you, right? And so... You have to set your mindset to them people, to those people as, hey, the same thing I kind of said earlier, like I can't control what they say and they do. All I can control is what I'm doing. And uh, just try to let those people roll off your back and try not to take what they have to say as personal. Because usually when somebody's trying to beat you down, you know that they're doing it for their own means, right? So, yeah, the people that weren't in my corner, I try to stay away from those people, try to avoid those people. Because those people bring me down, right? And so I want to associate myself with people who are positive, people who who do have a good mindset, a mindset like mine. And I feel like that's important to be successful, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I think when people are critical, it's very easy for us to see them as evil as the enemy but really if you dig down deep i think that they're lashing out because there's something there it's not necessarily a a personal attack against you it's more so in a very interesting way it's more so kind of an attack on themselves because they're hurt about something maybe they had your dream and for whatever reason they didn't get to fulfill that dream and so now they're a little bit angry they're a little bit upset that you're actually being able to do that and you're going for that And they didn't. And so I think a lot of times when we're being criticized, it's important. It's all about perspective. It's looking at that person and almost feeling sorry for them because you're thinking to yourself, how did you get to have an outlook on life and on success where you can't applaud somebody else for doing something cool? But yeah, and then obviously, you know, the answer I I frequently get when I ask this question is you just got to keep those people away from you. I mean, we want to we want to care about those people and we're sorry that they're hurt, but at the same time, we can't have those negative things kind of around us. We're trying to do things. But uh so kind of aligned to that, kind of keeping negativity away, trying to keep it positive. Talk to us about what it takes in terms of focus. Like to get to where you got. Like how does that how does focus play a factor in the level that you were able to achieve in professional sport? Yeah, good question. I would say the the number one thing that allowed me to be successful was keeping a long-term mindset, right? So I might be here at point A, but I'm always thinking about getting to point B. And, and I can tell you that when I wasn't successful, I would get focused in on where I was instead of where I where I wanted to go. And when I have that vision of where I want to go, then and I see myself already there, then basically I just have to walk those steps to get there, right? Because I've already seen myself doing that. So if I see myself playing professional baseball and being successful at that, then I just have to find the pieces along the way to connect me to that point B. But when I get focused on where I'm at at point A, what I'll find is I, I might find contentment, right, if I'm doing good right now, or if I'm not doing good and I just see where I'm at at point A, then then I might get bogged down 
and not have that drive or desire to get to where I want to go. And so the key, I think, is not losing sight. And then also, I think a huge part of focus is setting goals. And that's something I actually learned pretty young, but I didn't learn to like write my goals down and give myself attainable, measurable goals until right when I got into professional baseball and I had a manager, Pedro Lopez, and our, our the whole staff, we wrote down goals for the season. And I wrote down three measurable, attainable goals that were goals that I know would set me apart, but, but I also knew that they were very possible to get. And, and so I started doing that in those little goals, right? So you still have your, your long-term goal, but you also set those short-term goals in there where as the season goes on, you can continue to hit these goals. And once you hit those goals, you're inching your way towards that, towards that long-term goal. And, and continuing to focus on those goals will help you to stay focused on, on what you're trying to achieve, if that makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what you said about the fact that because I know that it resonates with me and it might, and it might resonate very well with, with some of the people listening to the podcast. When we're not successful, it's like you take your eyes off what's in front of you. You know, you take your eyes off the road and you start looking down at yourself and where you currently are versus what you really need in that moment when you're not successful. What you really need in that moment is to look up at that vision that you have of yourself and to, to hold on to it even tighter. Because that's what's going to push you through that funk. And that's what's going to get you to realize that maybe this was a necessary step in terms of getting to where I wanted to go. You know, actualizing and seeing failure as a learning opportunity. An opportunity that if it didn't come around, that it wouldn't help you to get to where you want to go. Because one of the other things that you said that I thought was interesting was this whole idea of success. When I'm successful, when I had a good game, right, when things are going well. A lot of times, that's when we don't have that introspection to really actually analyze, like, what's actually going on? How am I getting better? How am I growing? Right? And so that can stagnate growth and development just as much as the guy who sulks about a poor performance is the guy who gets really high on good performances and therefore just kind of stays where he is. So just... Yeah, like uh, like the eyes always need to be up the road at where we're trying to go and figuring out, like, what's my path going to be to get there? You know, what's the roadmap? What does it look like now? And realizing that, oh, you know, I didn't realize there was going to be construction on this road, so now I need to make a detour and I need to take a different road. And that's okay, you know, as long as I know where I'm going, I'll be rerouted, you know. And I so really good point there. Mark, talk to us a little bit about this. So you were drafted in the 12th round, which means you were the 374th overall pick. And so what was, like, when you got drafted, which is a really big day, like, what were your emotions? What were your thoughts that were going through your head at that point? Yeah, I would say there was quite a bit of fear at that moment because I think I had realized that I had reached a goal that that I had been going for for a long time. And there was a thought of like, well, where to next, right? So there was that initial fear of like, what is this going to be like, right? And and then on the other side, there was a ton of excitement that I, I had reached my goal. And 
knowing that I was going to be able to do something that I grew up playing as a kid that I could do as a career as an adult. And that was really exciting for me as well. Also just to be able to take something, become very skilled at something at a professional level, right? So uh, getting to be around men who, who would be teaching me or even some guys that I watched up grow, I, I grew up watching play baseball, got to meet some of my heroes, right? And knowing that I get to be on the same field with those guys, right? I, they were no longer my idols, but they, they were going to be my peers. And, and so that was exciting too. Yeah. Man, you just made a really, really good point that I wanted to, that I wanted to bring back and I wanted to make sure that the people listening to the podcast don't miss. You said when you got drafted, there was a little bit of fear because you realized that you had achieved the goal that you had set for yourself and you had been working hard for, for so long. And can I just say that that is a true testament to being plugged into the process? Like, I mean, you had it, you, you, a goal of yours was to play professional baseball, which is a huge thing. And everybody would think to yourself that you were like, you know, counting down the days, checking off the boxes, like you were, you were eagerly just watching the screen, waiting for this thing to happen. But it wasn't like that because you were so plugged into the process. You were so plugged into the day to day grind and what you needed to do on a daily, by minute, by practice, you know, by inning, by game basis, that all of a sudden it's it's right there in front of you. Like they call your name, you're right there. And then you go, oh my gosh, I'm here. That's the beauty of being involved in the process. Like not obsessing over the result because dedication to the process will get, will eventually get you to that result. So I just thought that was really, really cool that you said that. And I know that I've heard it in so many interviews and and all kinds of speeches from athletes where they say, you know, I, I just I work so hard for this and it's almost this like I can't believe it, but I can believe it mixture of emotions where it's like I can't believe it because I'm finally here, but I do believe it because I mean what have I been doing for the last, you know, like ten years or five years or whatever. I mean I've been I've been slaving away to make sure that I get here, you know? So yeah. just that interaction is really, really cool. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I, I think what added to that 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 shut off that that fear of like what do I do now as I thought back about the path that I took, um I did mention that I, I started rising in high school to a, a more elite level. But even then, um, you know, I had an injury my senior year that set me back, worked hard. I had a lot of big D1 colleges step down because of that injury uh, to my shoulder. And um, it wasn't it didn't have to be surgery, but it came at the worst time. Right. When colleges were making their final decisions and, you know, offering scholarships. And so when they started backing down, I actually went to junior college for two years, was not in their pitching rotation the first year because we had some some studs at my junior college who were in the pitching rotation. So I just played in the field. And then my sophomore year came back, pitched, had an okay year. But a lot of scouts knew that I had promise, right? They saw some good things in me. And and so I, I thought the whole time that, hey, I would have to go to a big D- Division one college and that there was only really one path, right? Go to the big college, spend their three years there, and then get drafted. 
and then going the path that I went was surprising to me, right? I expected that I might not get drafted. Um, you know, people are looking at me, but I also want to go and to my third year, possibly go to a big 12 school and then thinking, Hey, that's, that's when it's going to happen. And, and it happened earlier than I thought. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just, you know, when you, you have a plan based on what you think might happen. And then when that plan gets rewritten, I mean, the nice thing you mentioned a positive there, it happened sooner than you thought. That's the nice thing. Yeah. Here's the other, maybe not so nice thing that you didn't see coming. You got injured, you end up at a junior college, and then you can't eat. You're not even in the starting rotation. You're not even in the rotation when you first get there. So you've got to play in the field, and you don't even, you don't even, you're not even playing the position which you're more adapted at playing. So, you know, but again, just taking everything like we were talking about the journey, you know, we, we, it's good to have a map. It's good to, it's good to know the, the quickest route to get there. But at the same time, we know that, you know, that journey a lot of times for, for folks like yourself that go the profession route, you got stories to tell about how this didn't go the way that, you know, it was planned to go, but here's what I did. And so I got around it. I jumped over that obstacle. I went under it, or maybe I just ran right through it. And that's the reason why, as I frequently say when I interview a professional athlete, this is the reason why there are not many professionals. And this is the reason why we dream of, I want to dream, I want to play Major League Baseball, because what happens to, you know, 90% of the folks that get this shoulder injury? Well, oh, I've I've fought back from one, I got it fixed, and then I got right back in there. Great. Well, what happens when you go to the junior college and you're not in the starting rotation? Oh, that's when I pack it in, I'm done, right? And so many people start falling away, and I'm sure you began to see this, as you begin to rise to a higher and higher level, and get closer to the highest level, Major League Baseball, you notice you start looking around and you've got less, there's less of a crowd. I mean, it's, everybody's playing high school baseball. And then you go to college and there's less than that. And then you get into the minor league system and there's less than that. You can go professional and there's even less than that. I mean, just and with every level, less people go getting there, less people are around because, not because maybe they don't have the physical tools, but because they can't deal with adversity and they can't deal with obstacles. And so that's really neat that, uh, you know, obviously you dealt with them well and it showed in the, in the level that you were able to get to. So Mark, talk to us a little bit about, so you're playing, you make the freshman team. I want to address this area of talent and I want to address it in terms of, I mean, were you able to get away with it early in terms of just being like, man, I've just, I've, I'm, I mean, I'm good. I mean, I can pick up a bat. I can throw a ball. Like I'm just, and then at what point did that begin to be like less and less of a, of something you can lean on? And at what point was it a folk, a shift? If there was a shift to, man, I just, I really got to start working my tail off. Like there's guys that are coming up on me. This is, you know, this is going to be bad if I don't change something. Yeah. Good question. I played baseball too, for the joy of it, right? Until until I was in high school, I realized this is seriously an option for me, right? This is something that that I could succeed in, and so my work ethic did change at that point, to where I wasn't working hard because I I enjoyed it, but I was also working hard because now I have an end goal in mind, right? To to something that I see myself getting to. And I think that in high school, relative to 
the talent I had seen that I was working as hard as anybody. But it wasn't until I, I went to junior college, I saw some guys with less talent than me that had better work ethic than me because they came from a completely different area, right? They came from another state. And I saw how hard they worked with what they had. And that changed my mind to say, hey, maybe I really am not doing uh, everything that I can do and committing to being the best that I can be uh, because I've got more than this guy as far as raw talent, but but this guy's doing more with the talent that he has. And I would say it was two or three guys in, in, in specific that uh, I became friends with who helped shape that. And then uh, getting into professional baseball, it's even more so that, that truth of you're going to get in there with about 200 other guys um, in, in the minor league system who are working just as hard as you, if not harder. And so you have to look around and say, hey, if I'm not working the hardest, I'm not going to be the one to go to the big leagues because these guys are probably more talented than me and definitely more athletic. Um, you just see some, some freaks of nature uh, in professional baseball, but, but the work ethic has to be there. Uh, nobody ever gets by on talent alone. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a big John Wooden guy, and John Wooden had players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton but uh who obviously we know we know who those guys are those guys went on to play in the NBA and you know they they set records and all kinds of stuff but John Wooden talks a lot about people that we've never heard of but that he highly regards and respects as players that played under him because he always mentions the fact that maybe they weren't as talented as a Kareem or a Bill Walton but those guys like those guys gave everything they had. Those guys worked extremely hard, and in terms of maximizing the amount of talent that they had, they did just as good a job as Kareem and as and as Bill Walton. And so, yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It's, okay, here's what I've got, and now I need to use that to my maximum potential versus, oh, here's what I've got, so that means I can get by with less. And, you know, that's how it happens. I mean, that's how it happened for me as well in my running career and now in my cycling career, it's you look around and you start realizing that there's guys that are just working really, really, really hard. And you may think you're more talented than they are, but because they're working really, really hard, they're right there next to you. And you begin to think to yourself like, man, if I were to work that hard, then I mean, I can get more out of myself because I know there's more to give. And so in a really weird way, but a cool way, you come to that realization from maybe people that maybe you think that you're better than sometimes. Uh, and those are the people that really light the fire under you and kind of get you to uh, to take off. So Yeah. Just a, a really good thing that I saw, I think a lot of people have a sore perspective on on, like, how truly talented are the people that are the best at what they do. Like all those guys must just be every guy on, on that major league team must just be the best player ever. Right. They must have just the most talent and they're doing, they're doing the most with their talent that they have. Right. But in truth, one thing that I saw and and I'm a kind of rank these people differently. If you can follow me, there are only about a handful of guys in major league baseball that I would rank at a 
5A level. And when I say that, you have single A, double A, triple A, right? Those are all minor league levels. Major league level, if we rank that 4A, 5A would be guys who are, are shoe-in Hall of Famers, right? Guys who you see the Mike Trouts, um, the Miggy Cabreras, the Justin Verlanders, the Clayton Kershaws. Like, those guys are rare. They're rare. And those are the guys that we tend to put everybody else into that, into their, their mold saying, like, that's how all these other guys are that are performing well, right? But in reality, you don't see a, you guys you see who are like perennial all stars, right? But might not break that Hall of Fame barrier. Like, those are 4A players. And that might be, a third of, of all guys that play that are playing in the big leagues not right now, right? Guys who are, are perennial all-stars. But the rest, the other 50, 60% of the guys that make up that roster are AAA guys. Guys who really could go up and down, and you see it all the time. They go up and down between AAA and the big leagues. Most of a major league roster is filled with guys who have just enough talent but have an incredible work ethic that are really focused and really driven. And they really are not, they really are not anything special. But what you're seeing is the result of them sticking to the process of, of doing what they know is going to make them successful. Right. And they found that somewhere along the way and they, they know, Hey, this is what I'm really good at. I'm going to buy into my strength and I'm going to work on my strength. And that's what's going to get me in the big leagues and let me hang around for five to ten years. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm glad that you said that because, you know, I think that we generally, like you said, we generally tend to categorize them all the same and they're not. There are differences there and there's differences in work ethic that make a big difference in terms of what the player looks like and how the player can play on a particular given day based on what they're doing and just so much of that stuff just happens behind the scenes. I mean, you're mentioning these guys because you've been around these guys, but for somebody like me just watching ESPN and I'm just watching this guy hit home runs or I'm watching this guy strike people out, I mean, I really don't know a lot of what goes into that. And so people just, you know, we're watching TV and we're watching the highlight show and it's like, yeah, that guy's like this guy and this guy's like this guy. And little do we know that, you know, we're watching a guy that just hit a home run, but we, you know, the talk in the locker room is how much better that guy can be because that guy really just isn't a very hard worker. He just can hit a baseball. And then you've got the other guy that, you know, lays down a sacrifice bunt and it's not as sexy, but like, like you talk about that guy in the locker room and everybody's like, listen, let me tell you something about that guy. I mean, that guy's a fighter, right? Like that guy's going to give you everything he's got. I mean, this is, he's, he's redlining right now. I mean, this is maximum effort from this guy. And when you look at both of those guys, I mean, the guy that garners more respect and the guy that garners more admiration from managers, his fellow players, uh, is the guy that's giving everything he's got and not not holding anything back. Because, you know, with the with the other player, with the guy that's statistically maybe successful, but we know he's just not giving 100% of his best, you know, we begin to resent that a little bit. We begin to kind of get a little bit agitated. Number one, he's your teammate maybe, or if you're the manager, he's one of your players, right? And you're just thinking to yourself, how much better can we be as a team? How much better can we be in as, as an organization? Like if this guy started working harder, then how, how much more can he lift the other players up to, to step up their game as well? 
And so, unfortunately, sports is riddled with, uh, you know, with players like this and all different kinds of sports and disciplines. But that's the part of it. But the beauty of it is, is for those of us like yourself, like myself, like others that recognize that really the biggest recipe for success is hard work. For those of us that recognize that, it's really, really exciting because you talked about controllables earlier. How how much control do I have over how hard I work? Man, 100%, like all the time, you know? So that's definitely a, a good thing, you know, that if we put in the hard work that we can we can get places and we can do some pretty amazing stuff. So let's uh, talk about, so when we look at your career, Mark, we look at the fact that I want to address this uh, of the fact that you kind of moved around some teams. So you went double A, you went triple A, you know, you went double A, you went triple A, you stayed there and then you moved around. And uh, like that sounds like it's just hard in terms of travel, in terms of wear and tear, in terms of maybe when you get brought that like you talked about players coming down and coming up all the time. Like that's just that's the norm for a lot of guys. But you did it and you did it for a long time, which means that you had some kind of process or thought or mindset in place that allowed you to deal with that because that can that will break a lot of people so how is it that you dealt with that yeah i think the first thing is is you got to be willing to sacrifice some of the the comforts and uh the ideology that you have about things the way you want them to go right because i didn't expect that traveling around the united states to to play baseball um, would entail being on a, a charter bus with 30 dudes who were six foot three, 250 pounds, trying to squeeze into 40 seats, and uh, and then trying to make that work on a seven-hour bus drive, and uh, you know being in hotels half the year, you know just not getting paid well. Uh, you don't get paid well when you're a minor leaguer, and then just trying to make it through because your family's you know, in a different state, most likely. And that's the way it is for most guys. They, they play in a state different than where they grew up from and, uh, they don't get to see their family and their loved ones. And so realizing what you're sacrificing to do this, I think grounds you, allows you to see like, Hey, this really stinks, but it's going to be worth it in the end. If I can accomplish something from this, right. And, and then also just understanding that that's going to be part of it. Some things you have to accept. Some things are hard. But the mental shift there has to happen, right? At some point, you've got to be able to say, Hey, this is what it, this is what it is. You recognize what it is. And then you start learning how to cope with it and you change your mindset on it instead of like, this is a drag to be on this bus for seven hours. You know what? I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to get a group of guys and we're going to play cards on the bus. Or, you know, we're, we're going to play some type, type of game on the bus. We're going to make this fun, right? And so you start finding yourself doing those things. And I look back and I see the guys that turn some of those monotonous and really hard parts of, of the profession into almost a game, almost like it was fun. Those are the guys who, who really were able to handle those, those, those tough, I guess you'd say environments that we had to face. And I think that's what really helped me was just to, just to switch my, just take a 180 and say, Hey, this, this stinks, but I'm, I'm going to make it into something good. Yeah. So all that 
I want to summarize and I want to make sure that folks that are listening to this podcast, this may be his big takeaway number two here. You're listening to a guy that's played professional baseball. It sounds great. You get the baseball card. You go walk out onto the field. Fans are cheering for you. There's a lot of cool things. There's a lot of fun things. There's a lot of great things. Um, he wouldn't do it if he didn't enjoy it. You know, I mean, I think people get it mistaken. I mean, you can't be professional if you don't enjoy it because, because listen to what he just told you. He just told you that there's a lot that is not fun. There's charter buses and filing in and being in hotels and being away from your family and like all of these things that are, like he said, you just accept them. They're just, they're part of the gig. You want to be a professional major league baseball player? Cool. Here's some of the stuff that you get. You also get this though. You can't take the good and leave the bad. So, you know, I think that's important. We glamorize wanting to be a professional. I think it's awesome. People want to go after that. That's great. Chase your dreams, but also understand that you're going to have to deal with some things, like in everything in life, there's going to be some great things about what you might want to do, but there's also going to be some things that you're just going to have to battle through, you're just going to have to figure out how to cope with, right? So like playing cards, making something fun, just shifting your perspective to where you take something that would be negative to most people and you make it a positive. Because again, kind of as has been the, the vein, you know, the vein of this podcast episode here, it's like, if you can't get through obstacles and you can't deal with adversity, then you're, you're not going to last very long. And before you know it, you're probably going to want to maybe try to move on to go do something else. So, and, and then give up your dream. And then maybe at some point you come back and you start feeling regret over the fact that you couldn't deal with being on a charter bus for the love of the game and being able to step out onto a field and what that feels like, but you couldn't deal with a charter bus and now all of a sudden you feel bad about the fact that you never got to realize that because you just, you, you choose, you know, you didn't shift your mindset in that moment and you began, you continue to see it as negative until it ate away at you and made you quit. But so... Mark, you were known as a pitcher that had unbelievable control. Um, you won an award in, was it 2010? You won an award for your control? Yeah, I was our minor league player of the year in 2010. Okay, so 2010, you're the minor league player of the year for the Mets, which is, like, awesome, right? But I want to talk to, like, control of the pitches – this is more for me than people that are listening because I'm interested in this. In order to have control, I've heard that you shouldn't aim. So can you walk us through like, okay, so you're on the mound and you've got tremendous control, which means you can put the ball where you want, you know, you're picking spots, you're doing all those kinds of things. Like, how is it that you get to that place where you've got that amount of control in terms of like, what are you thinking or like, what's the, what's the process for that? Yeah, I learned something my first year in pro ball. It was a very simple thing, and it changed my ability to command uh, to command the zone and command my pitches. And it was a three-step process, and that process was see it, feel it, and do it. And I wasn't always a an accurate pitcher, right? I'm left-handed, so I relied a, a ton on on movement. You tend to see that naturally from left-handers, and and also the fact that it's coming from the other side, right? So the ball looks 
like it's coming in at a different angle. And so it's a little bit harder to read. And I, I threw hard for most of that tanders uh, in the low 90s. And, and so I started to see that when I executed pitches, it made a big difference in, in how effective I was. And it was shortly after I had started to implement this mental process. And so what I would do is I would see myself throwing the pitch. I would picture the pitch going where I wanted it to go. I would imagine or I would I would almost tangibly feel my body delivering that pitch that I wanted as if I was living out that pitch happening before it actually happened. I would feel it, and then I would do it, and I would trust it, and I would know, hey, I've already thrown this pitch. Mentally, I, this pitch has already been executed. I see what it's supposed to look like. Now I just have to let my body do what I pictured it doing. And it made it, it was wonders for me because it gave me a confidence that, that I was already giving that pitch in my mind, I was already executing that pitch, and basically I just had to follow through with the process. And then, you know, on the practical side of that, um, on the physical side of that, I couldn't leave the mound. I couldn't leave the field if I knew there was a pitch I was struggling with, um, maybe a fastball to a certain location or my changeup or my curveball was struggling and I, and I couldn't hit the spot that I wanted. Now, I wasn't going to leave the field until I could hit that location, um, that location that I've seen be affected before. And I made sure that those repetitions were right. And when I knew that they were right, I tried to, I tried to do it time and time again until I knew that I could hit five to ten in a row. Yeah. So the see it, feel it, do it, or you mentioned trust it. Like you said, you said see it, feel it, and then you said do it. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, you said see it, feel it, and then you said do it, and then you said trust it. Yeah. That can't – I think that – I can't remember the name right now. I'm racking my brain, but I think that came from a book. Uh, That's a, a golf book. about golf. Yeah. Ben Hogan, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading that book, and you're right. I mean, but but think about like that – so that's a book that's just a great read, but what are we doing there, right? That's totally imagery, you know? And And it's imagery, not visualization, because visualization was old school – visualization was us just seeing it, but the feeling it part is just as important, if not more powerful. Like feeling that pitch actually happening, bringing those sensations of what your body's going to feel like. And then, yeah, like you said, then you just, you, you let it go. You just, you do it. You trust it. And you trust that what you've been seeing and in, in, in your mind, what you've been feeling is actually going to take place. And obviously it, it it works, right? I mean, it worked for you. You know, you were able to win that award. And which brings me to this. Let's talk about this because this is going to be really cool. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. So in 2010, Mark, you had a really good stretch where you told me you went three games. They were complete games and they were shutouts. So for those people listening that, you know, don't know baseball, complete game is nine innings. Nine innings pitched, and a shutout means he didn't allow any runs. And he did this for three consecutive starts, which is really good. So, Mark, if you can take us through that experience, that stretch of games, like what was – I don't know. Just just take us through that. That That's just a, really cool. So, yeah, take us through, please. Yeah. 
leading up to that, um, I had been playing pretty decent, uh, but I couldn't string together two or three solid gains. And I did a small adjustment in my routine, and uh, I had a coach help me with that. And and the, the adjustment was just the amount of time I gave myself right before the game to get ready. I took a little break before the game started, just withdrew myself from the field, went into the locker room just a couple minutes before the game and allowed myself to cool back down mentally, physically, just not enough to, to get cold, but just to get to a, a less heightened, less adrenaline stage, right, to calm down. And then also in between those games, like changing the process that I was doing, which wasn't working for me. My body wasn't recovering the way I wanted. Um, so I changed my workout routine throughout my week. And then I just changed a few ways that I was preparing mentally where every day I was going out leading up to the next start, I was thinking about the team I was going to face. And, and so made those little adjustments to improve the process. And as I kept on making those adjustments, I, ke- I kept on seeing where they succeeded and where they didn't succeed. And then I would make another adjustment. And they were little tiny adjustments because I knew I was already playing pretty good. And then I got to the point where I had figured out my process and it was working for me. And so in those three, those three game, that three game period, it was, you know, about a two week period. I really didn't think about it at all. I just went day to day. Um, looking back at it, it flew by, right? Because I wasn't thinking about, oh, wait, can I do this again? I was just living in the process of what I was doing. I was focusing on how I was preparing for the game. And then when I got to the game, I just let whatever happened, happened. Um, and, and so I, I reflect back on that and I see that it had to do with buying into focusing on the process and not the result. Cause had I focused on the result, I would have given up runs, right? Because the fear was struggling like, Oh no, I can't let, I've got 15 innings so far, right? I'm halfway through the second game. And I start thinking about, I can't let that happen instead of, Hey, I'm just going to continue to go batter by batter through this game. And then you look up. And you're in, you're at the last out, you know, you're ninth inning, two outs. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to do it one more time. And, and this game's going to be a result of the one before it. And the same thing with the third game. Man, I love that. I love it. Man, what an example there. I mean, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about it. I, I said it, you know, but I didn't think about it. You break down three complete games. That's 27 innings. And, and 27 times three is, uh, I'm not good at math, but that's a lot of outs, right? So you're absolutely right. If you begin to think about where you're at, you're 15 inning, you're 15 innings in without allowing a run. You're 17 innings in without allowing a run. You're 21 innings in without allowing a run. You're, you know, and you start counting. Okay. I've got this many outs left. I've got this many outs left. I've got, then you're going to, you're going to come off your game. And it's funny how time flies when you're focused on the process. Again, taking us back to what you said a little bit earlier in your podcast, you get drafted and you're like, whoa, like that, this was the goal that I've been working for. You know, I've been putting in a lot of time and here I am. And it's like time flies because you're about the process. And when you're about the process, you don't have time to focus on the result. Because taking your mind off of that means a batter gets a hit and it's it's over. 
So, yeah, really, really cool story. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of athletes, when they talk about an experience like this, like one you had where, I mean, let's face it, you were on. I mean, you were unhittable, literally, for three games. You know, do you feel like the mind was kind of off? Do you feel like you were just kind of in a fog, like just doing this thing, and it was just everything's clicking and it was all there? Or, or for you, was it more of like, I'm starting to understand what I'm doing and I need to bring myself back to the process. You know, did which one of it was for you? I think there were spurts of that period um, throughout all three of those games where I, I look up and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm in the same place in the seventh inning that I was last week, right? And I would come to that realization. I would say those, you know, first six innings, seven innings, the, the term that a lot of people use, they, they felt like they were sleep mentally, right? Because they were just, going batter by batter, batter by batter. They're not, they don't even really know where they're at in the game. They just know when a runner gets on second and it's time to shut down the chance that this could be a run. And so staying in in the middle of that moment when you're in the middle of the game, guys mentioned that kind of word of like, I felt like I was asleep mentally. Like I was like a machine kind of, right? Because the process was so strong. I just trusted it, right? And I just kept going and kept kept fighting through that process, but but that did happen. I, I looked up and I'm like, oh, you know, this is I'm gonna I'm I'm in the third time of being shut out game, and then it's the seventh eighth inning, and and then saying, hey, look, you got here. There's really nothing to lose, right? Look, you've already gotten this far. Go back to that next batter and just. Think about the next pitch. Stay in the moment. Don't stay in what what could happen, what the future lies, or what the past has. But just stay in the moment. And, and that was a big way to center myself back into that focus in the middle of the game. Um, in the middle of what I'm doing is to stay present, right? Because when you're present, you can stay in the process. When your mind's out of the present in the middle of uh, middle of competition, that's when you fail. That's when you're Enable to focus on the process because the process is a, is a, it's a present thing. And the process is not a future or a past thing. The results are, right? So that's why I, I, if you hear me saying process a bunch, I'm talking about the present, um, and focusing on what you're doing in the present. Then you really need to be focused in on the process there. So yeah, fantastic. Mark, you mentioned to me before we came on here that, um, you sought advice from other players, like you jump into the majors and you're around some, I mean, you've already mentioned a couple, you're around some guys that had been around for a while that had done some really good things in the sport of Major League Baseball and you sought out advice from them. So can you just give us a little bit of what you kind of, some of the stuff that maybe you remember from guys that you asked that was just really helpful for you as you went through your career? Yeah, I'll give a couple of instances. Julio Franco uh, joined the Mets as a coach shortly after his career ended. And as you know, he's the oldest player to play baseball. Had a very, very long career. And I asked him, Julio, what, what was your secret to, to playing baseball as long as you can and, and being successful? And he told me it was three things. It was eating right, drinking right, and breathing right. And he explained those in depth saying, hey, you know, you can, your body's not going to be able to perform unless you eat right. You're not going to stay healthy. Like you're going to get injured if you don't drink water and stay hydrated. And 
unless you control your breathing, you cannot perform in the middle of the game. Because what happens when adrenaline comes up uh, and the game's on the line, people who allow their breathing to get shorter and faster because of the pressure of the moments, their muscles are tighter, their minds are not as fast, and and they fail. But he did yoga three times a week in the off season, and he said he would always focus on his breathing. He would do power power yoga stances and focus on holding those those stances and positions with slow controlled breathing. And he said that that always kept him relaxed in games. And when he was relaxed, everything worked better. His body was easier to command when he was relaxed. And so that would be the first story that was really valuable for me. Um, the second one was from uh, Miguel Batista, and he played with the Diamondbacks in the World Series in 2000. They won it that year, and Miguel was a wealth of knowledge. He said that he learned something really valuable from Kurt Schilling that made his career, that affected Miguel's career. And Miguel told me, and it was really, really good, he said that uh, Kurt Schilling had a really rough patch of about a month or two where he was getting hit around pretty bad. And Miguel, knowing as good as he was, he's like, I'm going to see what is this guy going to do. He's, he's one of the greatest, right? What is he going to do to get out of this hole? And he saw Kurt Schilling for about three straight bullpens, only throwing his fastball in one location for 40 pitches. He did it three in a row, and Miguel always noticed that. And he said, Kurt, why do you keep on throwing? He's like, you're not commanding all of your pitches. You're not – all your pitches aren't working. And, and, and Kurt was a very process-driven person. He said, hey, I know that my changeup, my fastball, and my slider – come off of my fastball and my fastball is my best pitch. I have the most control of my fastball. So if I can't command my fastball, then how could I command the other three pitches that aren't nearly as good as my fastball? And he goes, and especially if I can't hit it on the opposite side of the plate, which is the hardest place to throw the fastball, he's then what's the purpose of practicing the other pitches? And sure enough, um, that next start, Kurt had a great start and uh, a great month leading up to that because he had fixed his process. He had gotten it down and, and made that adjustment, and he knew that adjustment, right? He knew what the adjustment needed to be and trusted it, although he kept on struggling. He knew if I can get that down, I'm, I'm going to be there. And that would be the second story. And then a short one after that is a story about Greg Maddox. I've heard the tallest tells about this guy um, from people that I've played with, coaches, other guys who played in the major leagues who were still playing at the time who were rookies when uh, Greg was at his prime. And and everybody has said the same thing about Greg Maddox, who is by far the greatest professional pitcher that's ever played the game. He had a mindset that was like nobody else's. Greg was out to be the best at what he did. And Greg found every single pocket possible to excel and succeed at his profession. And he never got continued, never got satisfied. And that was really encouraging to me um, that, that you can always improve in your game. Yeah, man, you're mentioning some juggernauts in those stories. I mean, uh, those are guys that if you can't take their advice seriously, then uh, I don't know whose you can take because you just mentioned some really, really good good players there. But uh, let, let's end with this. I mean, giving all that you've learned, 
you've got something to give out to us as well. So, you know, for people listening to the podcast, you know, and you do a little bit of coaching as well nowadays. And so what would you give to us as advice? Yeah, I would say that I would find almost more joy in my failure than my success. Because looking back, my failure is actually what developed me into the player and the person that I am. And that when failure came my way, that I looked at failure as an opportunity to succeed again, right? So playing a sport that is based around failure, where if you get on base three out of ten times, you are going to be a Hall of Famer if you can do that on a on a yearly basis. Get on base three out of ten times. And learning how to deal with failure allows you to succeed more. And you can ask anybody who's great at what they do, right? They they always take their failures as a positive. Like, this is something that I can learn from. I can find joy in this because I, I'm getting taught something. There's always a lesson to learn from failure. And that's something I always try to, to teach any young kid that I've coached that let's Let's actually not be upset about our failure. Let's be excited about that because that's going to teach us how to succeed in the future. Um, and I, I put that in every part of my life, right? Um, as a father, husband, as an employee at a software as a service company that I've, I've failed a ton in all those areas. And I can take my failures, um, turn them into a positive and find a way to succeed in the future. Yeah, I love that. I mean, Failure is a given with walking. When you first start trying to do it, it's a given. You're going to not be able to walk very well. You're going to fall. It's going to take quite an amount of practice. If we looked, and of course kids don't do this, but just to take Mark's son as an example, like if we were to take walking and get frustrated the first, I don't know, 27 times we don't get it right, and we chose to give up on walking, we'd have a lot of problems in life because, I mean, you need walking for a lot of other things. So, again, that's a very easy example to use, but I think it highlights Mark's point. It's we've got to be able to look at failure, unpack it, like as painful as it may be, realize that maybe we're not as good at something as we need to be, maybe we're deficient somewhere, maybe, who knows, unpack it, learn from it, grow, reapply, you know, recalculate the journey or what have you, and then get moving again. And if you do that, and if you continue to do that, then you will reach success. And as we've heard here, this has been a really, really cool episode where, you know, Mark has shared a lot of stories and just been able to give us a lot of wisdom about that. So, but man, Mark, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. You know, as I said, just, you know, super busy guy here with the family and uh, with the job and all that. And, Mark told me he's Mark's in college right now. He's about to finish up. He's two weeks away, so he's also cramming for those exams and getting that getting that out of the way. And so, Mark, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to be on the podcast, man. Anytime, Mario. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks so much, buddy. Have a good rest of your All day. All right, you too.